Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Uh, welcome to another special bonus episode of the Tom Petty Project. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Brown, and I'm joined by my co-host, uh, John Paulson. This is the podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. Um, we're going back in time and looking at the two albums that we didn't cover yet. And so we wanted to touch on the second album, You're Gonna Get It. Um, the second album in the Heartbreakers catalogue contains another couple of ever-present Tom Petty classics, and I'm looking forward to hearing John's thoughts on this one. So rather than me prattling on them endlessly, let's dig into it. So it feels like we just talked about the last album. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> let's do some vital statistics. Um, this one was released uh, May 2nd, 1978. Uh, again, uh, the label was Shelter Records, distributed by ABC, and again, the producer was Denny Cordell, with additional production on this one, though, from Noah Sharp and Tom Petty. So this was the first time Tom was credited as a producer, and that was, of course, the thin end of the wedge because he had his hands very firmly into every album after that. Um, and also Noah Shark, who actually decided on the name of the album and the artwork. The band wanted to call the album Terminal Romance, um, which I'm not sure is much better as a, an album name. And, of course, the original uh, artwork was supposed to be a photograph by Anne Leibovitz, which I think would have been interesting. I, I don't think I've ever seen. Um, the running time for this one, again, is even shorter than the first at 29 minutes and 38 seconds. Um, and so the, I think the longest song is 324 on the, on the, on the album. Um, and the singles from this one were I Need to Know, which was number 41 on the Billboard charts, number 46 in Canada, uh, and Listen to Her Heart, which was number 59 on the Billboard. Um, it's crazy how good some of the songs on the first two albums are without the albums themselves being as good as the rest of the catalogue. So I think let's just dig straight into, the, into some of these songs. And one of the first ones we sort of identified was Hurt. Give me your thoughts on Hurt. Yeah, I like uh, Hurt. This is one that popped up as I listened to this, you know, five times or six times over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think the piano is really cool at the start. Tom's vocal has some flair. Uh, this one, this, this definitely surprised me a little bit. And I, looking at the, the history of the, of the track, it, I think he said that he wanted it to sound like a Dolly Parton song. Yeah. Which was really fascinating to me that Dolly Parton was... Uh, not only just on his radar, I'm sure everybody knew who she was, but the, to try to emulate what she was doing or, you know, sort of use her as a user music as an inspiration for his. I think that's really cool. I'd love to hear her do a cover of, of Hurt. Um, yeah, this one definitely um, jumped up and it maybe might make the top three here. I'm trying to figure out who my, what my third song is going to be, but I, I really like this track. And it's got that, again, it's sort of a, you've got, like I said, you've got that long, sort of atmospheric intro to the song where you're not quite sure initially where it's going to go. And then it sort of breaks into a, a pretty typical, I'd say, early Heartbreaker song, but then it goes up a notch in the bridge. And so I'd written in the in the, I think the episode when I covered this, it's got a sort of a, like a Beverly Hills Cop, Harold Faltermeyer feel to the bridge. And I, I stand by that comparison. It's a good thing because it gives it that sort of movie soundtrack um, dynamic to it that sort of, I think, elevates a song that could have been a little bit more ordinary, but with that intro and that bridge, it really kind of gives it more, it gives it more punch to me. Yeah, I think uh, you look at it, it's a little bit different than the, the, the two big songs on this album. So it's, it's something yeah. a little different. It shows his uh, ability to be versatile in his songwriting, which is, you know, one of the things that stands out in these first few albums is that he jumps around a little bit from genre to genre and is able to pull from, from different areas. Yeah, definitely. And so then into, again, something that sounds completely different to that, Too Much Ain't Enough. 
which I'd said yeah. it's it's, got, it's it's like a wicked sleazy slide and blues shuffle again. They had that that real shuffle in a lot of these early songs. Um, and if I had to pick one heartbreaker song for ZZ Top to cover, that it might be too much enough. I think that would be kind of cool to listen to. You know, Billy and Dusty thrash that one out in the in the middle section. So yeah, this, this is a good track. It's a good upbeat rock track. Um, I think it's sort of. I don't want to say it pales in comparison to I Need to Know or Listen to Her Heart. And I think part of this is that I've heard those songs so many times on the radio and they're just ingrained in my soul. Whereas Too Much Ain't Enough is, is something that comes on. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a pretty good track from that, you know, that uh, time in his career, that era in his career, first few albums, still trying to find himself. But this is a this is a this is a good one that um, I don't skip. Uh, yeah. And I think it's got I think it's got a catchy enough chorus that uh, it's fun to listen to every once in a while. Yeah, and it's got a killer guitar sound on this one. Again, that's, I think, one of the things I love most about Mike Campbell, you know, he, he's not Satriani sort of level virtuosity, but the one thing that he was always superb at and consistently throughout his career is picking exactly the right guitar tone for the song. And this one, again, it's, just, it's, so, it's like a searing lightning bolt kind of lead, right? Like it just really rips into, and then it's backed up by that. The, the drums are mixed so flat, but the relentless, and it's got, again, that sort of that shuffle snare hit. It's so, so cool. Yeah, it's one that maybe could have been released as a single and wasn't. There was only two singles released off this album, which is interesting when you think about it. You think usually at least three, um, and this this might have been one that could have been gotten some radio airplay. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, now, speaking of the singles, though, again, you've got two songs off this album that are just different level to pretty much anything else that was going on at the time. So I need to know, of course, it's, you know, again, it opens with that electric just sort of relentless driving riff yeah this is a uh it just kind of goes back to our previous conversation where why are we putting this at track six <laughs> uh listen to her heart track seven you know listening to this album several times in a row there's some good stuff on that first side and then all of a sudden i need to know hits you and then listen to her heart follows it up and you're and you're just like left kind of scratching your heads like this is such amazing music why are we bearing it on the second half of this uh, album um i need to know is just a, a banger whenever he played it in concert fans loved it it uh it up tempo uh, he didn't always play it this was probably a i think between i need to know and listen to her heart i don't know that they would always play both they usually would play one or the other, and it's usually listen to her heart. I think that was the most more popular one with the fans. But I need to know, definitely got definitely saw it live several times. I think Stevie Next did a pretty good cover of it as well on a show with him, um, or maybe on her own. But um, it's it's a great track. It's, it's just a banger. Yeah, I think Stevie Nicks wasn't that on the um, like that PBS special. Wasn't on that one where she comes on, she does Insider, so, yeah, Dragon Water, so. and then I think it was Need to Know. Yeah, I think that's the one. And I think Tom even says this is the way the song should be sung, <laughs> which, which is possibly generous, but. <laughs> well, it's always like his relationship with Stevie is hilarious. Uh, just in that Stevie really wanted to just join the Heartbreakers and yeah. he kept telling her there's no girls in the Heartbreakers. <laughs> and, but she was like the, the big sister, little sister, I think, uh, little sister yeah. uh, that, uh, just wanted to be a part of the band and, and was always hanging around and eventually got herself, you know, spots on the, the 30th anniversary tour, I think, and, and playing yeah. a lot, a lot of shows with her when she was around. So um, that's, just, it's just a funny, cool relationship between those two. 
Yeah, we'll definitely get more into that too when we again on Hard Promises with obviously with Insider and some of the I think a couple of other songs that she sang backing on. But I remember listening to an interview, or maybe it was in one of the books where he, he talks about her and she said like, "Can you just you know for Belladonna, can you write more songs?" He says, "No, like you can you can write songs. You're a good songwriter. You don't need me to do that." So I think just having that confidence and that presence because Stevie Nicks by that time was pretty established in Fleetwood Mac. It's not like she was a you know an unknown art, an unknown quantity. So for him to say, well, no, you can go write your own songs. <laughs> I think I, you know, and I think that she wasn't necessarily afraid to do that. I think she was just wanted to be a part of Tom Petty and wanted Petty to be a part of her album because she yes. just could sense that he was you know a fantastic songwriter and um, he would make it better. Um, but you know, maybe she didn't want to all do all the work either. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> I think anytime you can try to get Petty to write some songs for you, you probably have to try. If you have that sort of relationship where you can ask him, yeah, uh, it doesn't hurt to ask, right? Absolutely. Okay, so the second big track of the album, "Listen to a Heart." Again, it like you said, buried on the second side, um, and again, it, it's so different. to I need to know, like it's it's a completely different song. Again, showcases that. Softer side, and obviously it's it's Tom trying to do his, his sort of birds impression, and obviously loved Roger McGuinn and, and thought the world of him. Um, and it's also sort of challenging the establishment with that lead line, right? So you know the record company wanted that line changed, um, but Tom stuck to his guns, and of course the song's all the better for it. Yeah, and thinking back to the mid seventies, it's amazing that the word cocaine is offensive and can't have it in a single. <laughs> or can't, I, were they worried about it? the radio not playing it because the word cocaine is in it because yep. they are free, it's, it's pro-drug well the, the the whole lyric is that it's negative it's that you know she she's not going to fall for you and your cocaine um it's a negative a negative connotation so yep. that's the it's so weird to me thinking about some of these conversations and, and decisions <laughs> that were made back in the day i'm glad he stuck, stuck to his guns because it's just so much more effective as cocaine as yep. opposed to champagne uh which wouldn't have made a whole lot of as much sense, I guess, because I think, you know, back then uh, there was one that, I mean, cocaine was picking up and, yeah. uh, you know, addictive and it's just kind of a nasty thing. So um, a lot, a lot worse for you than champagne. So um, the track is amazing. It probably didn't do as well because of that lyric. Right. Uh, probably would have been, it, probably, it was already one of his biggest hits certainly at that time, but you know, looking at his discography as a whole, um, it's up there. I mean, you're listening to her heart is probably top 10 song, I think in terms of structure and catchiness yeah. and all that. So, um, fantastic, just a fantastic track. And again, it's like moments of absolute sheer brilliance amidst, you know, some good songs and some kind of inner songs. And again, putting it seventh, like I would love to see all <laughs> the, the best songs that were seventh. Yeah, in a track list, in a list, and see where, like, of all the classic rock artists out there, and just see where "Listen to Her Heart" would rate because I would have to figure it's up there. Oh, now you've said that, I'm gonna have to go do that because that's gonna that's just gonna be that's a name I'm gonna have to scratch. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to pick maybe the top fifty rock and roll albums and see what. Just look at those tracks. Yeah, albums. look at I, look at number seven because I think, like you said, I think it's gonna be up there. And, and again, talking about that lyric, there, there were sort of two things that I thought when you think about it. And Tom said, you know cocaine's more expensive than champagne like most people can afford champagne because that's that's the point is this guy's a bit flashy he's trying to seduce her away with this thing but then the other thing if you think about just the just sonically champagne is a very soft word right and cocaine it's got punch to it. It's that very hard two syllables. It's got C's. two hard yep. C's, right? So I just think sonically it works so much better. If you change that, it just it completely wrecks the vibe of that opening line. It doesn't work. 
So um, the other song that we sort of decided to talk about is No Second Thoughts. And for me, this is the sleeper on the album. You know, the percussion, the feel of it is, again, completely different. And it sort of presages a ton of that sort of diversity that Tom would would diverse songwriting te- techniques and sounds that Tom would use on on later albums. And I also love how they did this one live. Um, you know, the, it was more of a, a little bit more of a country groove to it when they played it live. And I think that really, that arrangement really, really works for this song. Yeah, I appreciate you sending along the, the YouTube link to the live version of that off of the live anthology. And I don't think I've heard it before. It was on the, uh, the not the deluxe edition, but it might've been the deluxe edition where it was the fifth disc. Yeah. It wasn't included on the four disc version, which is the one I have. So I'm going to have to get that. Uh, I want to hear <laughs> the rest. Of, I didn't realize that that was out and a thing. So listening to this live, uh, I think takes it to three or four notches higher to me. I don't think that the production on the album did it justice at all. Yeah. Uh, listening to it yeah. and then going back and li- listening to the uh, live version and going back and listening to the studio version. The percussion to me sounds like it's like recorded in a cave. It's got like a weird <laughs> echo to it I don't like. Um, and then Tom's vocal on it, he's doing some weird things with it, which I don't like. uh, There's a second thought where he says no second thoughts. And it almost seems like he's running out of breath, which is not usual for him. And I didn't let, you know, it just kind of turns me off. And so it's not that the song isn't good. It's a really well done song. Like it's a very well constructed, it's catchy, uh, but you know, it's kind of a quieter acoustic kind of song. And I thought that live version um, the percussion sounds a lot better for obvious reasons and his vocals are the performance is perfect on it. So I think that will become my um, de facto like quintessential version of this song that I'll actually listen to fr- pretty frequently now, because this yeah. is one that popped up. Um, you know, I, I, I knew that uh, it was, I, I want to say it was Kurt Bile that, that played this song on a pet on a Tom Petty radio when he was doing get, a guest DJ. I know it was an artist like that. I think it was okay. Kurt Bile. Um, but he he brought up no second thoughts as one of like his little underrated gems, and I didn't you know I, hearing the the studio didn't catch me, but definitely live, I you can hear how good the song could have been in my opinion. Like I just think yeah. that they, they it just didn't do it justice in the studio. And again, I I always go back to that and think about the first two albums, the production is or partly i think it's the production's lacking but again i mean they're a brand new band they're playing live obviously they were super tight live band and and brilliant at doing that right from the get-go but doing it in a studio is a completely different kind of worms like it's a different process it's a different set of skills that you need it's a different tolerance and patience that you need um and so i think the yeah the 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 way that iovine really whips them into shape and then rick rubin took that through and jeff lynn of course and then all the later albums with you know Ryan Oliadi and, and, and all those albums, they're produced by really experienced producers. With this one, it almost like it was produced off the corner of Denny Cordell's desk. And I know that Tom even said that Denny really wasn't around for most of the production of this album. It was Noah Shark was doing most of the day-to-day and Denny would come in so last minute and say, oh, well, maybe change the bridge in that or I don't like this. So it was really wasn't hands-on. So they didn't have that immediate feedback from an experienced producer who could have said, actually, the percussion sounds like it's been recorded in a cave. Maybe we need to re-record that. You know, stop <laughs> That might be that might be harsh, but you, yeah. the late seventies into the eighties was a weird time for music in general, and I think that there were some there was some technology coming into the studios that maybe wasn't ready for prime time yet, and yeah, uh, and the artists. And I'm not, this is not specifically directed at Petty, but I think there was a lot of artists in their late seventies, early eighties that put out some albums that sounded sound a little dated now because they were doing some things 
um, or able to do some things that maybe they shouldn't have been doing or should have stuck with analog or whatever. Um, And that specific track to me sounds a little, you know, late seventies to me and and not in a, not in a great way. (laughs) It's just the production of it though. I think that the, the, the track itself is pretty excellent when you, when you kind of pull away some of that stuff. Yeah, I can go with that completely. Okay, so and I mean, I think this album has the song that I would rate probably as the song I would rate lowest of everything that Tom put out, and that song's "Restless." Because to me, and Tom even says in the book that it was a song that they sort of they threw together because they just needed to finish the album. You know, it, it was sort of let's just put, and, it, and it has that feel of being an idea. Like it's got a good sort of idea behind it, but it just it just feels hurried and rushed and not complete to me, you know. And I, and I just I really it's, I could take or leave that one. I think you you look back at what they were trying to do at this point. They were they were touring a lot. Uh, they basically wrote the second album so they would have more songs to play live, which I yep. thought was an interesting reason to, to play, yeah. you know, to record an album. But they're just trying to get out some of these hits. They're trying to get out, listen to her heart. I need to know so that they can too much enough probably, and um, <clears throat> so they can go and play those live and have the, the fans know what they're what they're playing um, and be able to go buy it. <laughs> I think is yeah. probably what was happening. So it basically doubles their uh, number of songs they can play in any given set, and they don't have to play some of the songs they're, they're sick of from that first album. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, I think the thing about that, though, is that they did um, they did so many covers. Like, throughout their career, they did lots of covers. So trying to fill out a live set with, you know, some filler, it's like, oh, I don't know, you need to do that. <laughs> yeah, they probably didn't want to play five covers in a show, though. So they're probably getting <laughs> sick of some of those songs from that first album. I, yeah. Just, you know, interviewing a few bands from my old job, and, like, they, you could tell that they just get tired of playing the same uh, tracks over and over and over again, and sometimes they have to, but uh, certainly some of these kind of fringe tracks they probably got sick of playing. Yeah, for sure. And then, so we do have like a, there's a there is a B side um, from this album that I don't I don't know what to say to you, which again is it's definitely a B side. It's a an interesting song. Like again, it's it's almost got like a Chet Atkinsy kind of super fifties rock and roll bounce to it. But I can see why it doesn't fit on the album. Like you definitely wouldn't sub that one in, right? Yeah, that's a weird track. I yeah. went back and listened to it. I had heard it before and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, like, I wouldn't mind hearing that if I'm cruising around listening to Tom Petty radio. Like, it yeah. just comes on. Like, but that's not something I'm seeking out. Uh, just a weird, it doesn't fit within the scope of this album. So that's one, like, yeah. one decision where, like, okay, good job, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you left the right one off. And I think there was, I, I, kind of, I was looking back and I couldn't find it. There is one song, and it was either on the first or second album, I think it's on the second, where they'd recorded it and they'd finished it and they were pretty happy with it, but then the tape got mangled. Like, it just oh. they, they lost it. And I, can't, I just I can't find it, so I'm going to have to go back and, and try and dig that out. But one of the other songs that I wanted to talk to you about um, from this era, and it, wasn't, it was never recorded in the studio, um, is Dog on the Run. So not Dogs on the Run, obviously, which he did later on, um, but Dog on the Run, which is that sort of nine-minute... And again, a kind of an interesting, strange song because it starts out as being a full-on Tom Penny and the Heartbreakers rocker, comes out the gate flying, but then it breaks down into this sort of four-minute, five-minute prog rock, Benmont space opera kind of weird thing. It's almost like a Louisiana Rain type of thing. And I think that if you cut that out and you pare it down, which I, I, again, I'll, I'll put a link to a little edit that I did of this, um, like the Denny Cordell pseudo edit, right? And I think if you pare it down to the sort of the bare bones of that, or maybe even throw sort of a bit of a solo into the middle, I think it's a great track. And I'm really surprised that they 
once they played that for the in 76, 77, it just disappeared. They never played it again. And I'd love to know why that happened. Like, why did you, why did they drop that? Yeah, I listened to your version of it a couple of times and I can't say that I've heard the original version. Okay. Um, I, but I think, I just love that the nerdiness of what you just did there, which is to edit that track and to like try to try to repair it and present it as a, a track that should be on this album. I think that's great. I think that's fun. Uh, that's what this is all about. Us just kind of talking about Tom Petty and fandom and what would we do different and how could we have, you know, done this or, you know, is this perfect or is this, could this like, what, what are we even doing here in the middle of this <laughs> track with a four minute version of whatever, whatever Benmont was doing. <laughs> I need to locate that. I don't know. Uh, that's not on the streaming services. I don't think that live EP from no. 77. Uh, so I need to try to find the original version, just kind of compare your version to that one. I didn't have time prior to this, but yeah. Um, it does have a pretty good groove to it. Uh, and that's not one that I've listened to a bunch where it's really an earworm and I can, you know, I can even sing the chorus right now. So uh, yeah. not that you, not that you'd want me to, but um, <laughs> it, it was, it was cool to, to listen to your edit of it. And I could see it on this album. It did fit within the scope of this album, you know, certainly more than that other B side we were just talking about. Yeah, no, totally. And then, like I said, when I, if, even when I get to speak to any of the heartbreakers, it's definitely a burning question is what happened to that song? Because it's so strange for it being, like I said, it's the bones of that song are so strong that it just disappeared. And I think that, as I said, I think maybe because it's another sort of nine minute jam, the way it was done live, and you have breakdown in the set that already does that. Maybe it's just that. Maybe it's just a function of, well, we already have that. We've already got the song that does that. So let's just push this one aside because breakdown is stronger. So well, I hope you get to talk to Mike Campbell at some point. That'd be fun to ask him about some of these things. And I bet you that we have now talked about Dog on the Run you know, for three minutes now. And that's probably more than he's thought about that track in the last 20 years. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, I don't think he probably, he probably will remember it uh, if he hears it, but I don't think he, like, that's one where I don't think he's sitting there thinking, oh, Dog on the Run could have been a you know, big hit for us. Yeah. We never know though, right? Because maybe that was one of his licks that he, that's true. It, you know, it could have be. been one of the ones that he thought, why are we not playing this one? You know, so. Yeah. Okay. So as we're talking about production and sort of our doing our little producer for a day, um how would you so i'll let you go first and how would you sequence this album yeah i would start uh, i think starting with i need to know is i don't think it's i wouldn't do it um i would put okay. that second and i would put listen to her heart first i think i need to know is a little too uh brash it's um it's not quite as uh catchy to me as american girl um, so I think I would go listen. Let's, I think to listen to the heart is the best track on the album. Again, this is your second album. You haven't really hit it big. Uh, put your best stuff up top. So I would go listen to her heart. And then I need to know, because I think those two back to back in that order is, is a really, really strong way to start. And then I think, you know, and then I think it gets a little bit tougher with this album. I don't have clear three, four, five, but I probably would yeah. go with hurt. Uh, hurt is a, uh, it's a, it's a change from those two songs and it's kind of shows your, uh, songwriting breadth and versatility and I think it's kind of a cool song probably the third best song on the album as it was recorded um, and then you know I don't know about four maybe Magnolia I saw you I think you put Magnolia four um, and I think No Second Thoughts is a good one for five and I, I would would want that to be a different version of that in the in the studio yeah and I think I, I'll just I won't go into the whole second side but I think Too Much Ain't Enough would be a good one to start the second side with and then maybe you know you're going to get it and then you know kind of go out from from there you know with the last three tracks 
Cool. Yeah, man. I mean, and I think, yeah, I started with I need to know because, again, I, I like the idea of opening with just that kicker. Just that, again, that it, it crashes into life, right? There's no build. It's just immediate. It's like we're playing this. It's loud. It's fast. It's rock and roll. Deal with it. And I just love that immediacy. So I would start with it. And then I put this is where we differed. So this is one where I didn't put the two strongest tracks as, as one and two in, in my playlist. So I'd go, you're going to get it second. Because, again, it, for the same reasons you're talking about her, it shows that breadth and it's a different feel, different vibe. I, again, also went with her, Magnolia, No Second Thoughts, to close outside one and then open side two with Listen to Her Heart. So, again, now you've got two openers that really sort of engage. And similarly to you, I think the, the last four tracks on side two, you could interchange, but I would drop off um, Restless. I'd take that out and I'd put Dog on the Run. If, you, if they did a studio edit to that song, so I'd go maybe Too Much Ain't Enough, Boobs a Rock and Roller. Dog on the run, and then close with when the time comes because I think that is a decent closer. I think that's a not a bad closer. So let me ask you: Are you are you putting this together with the situation that the, the band was at the point that they were at? Because that's where I put myself. I'm like, okay, yeah. we have our first album. Uh, it, it was okay in terms of how you know commercial it was or how well it did. Yeah. And then like so for me, it's like I think you have to get listened to or heart on that first side, and I would lead with it. And then, yep. I mean, I would put the three or four best songs up front again and, and then try to craft the second half in a way that's sonically in- interesting and at least shows the versatility of the band. But I think I think at this point, especially in music and for bands that were hungry, that you just need that, that first half of the album, four or five songs, to be really interesting and your best stuff back yep. then. And especially for Petty and Heartbreakers, at the point that they were at in their career. I mean, they, he could do whatever he wants when he's releasing his 10th album. Yeah. He's got his whole fan base that's going to listen to the whole thing a, a thousand times. Um, but at this point, how hungry and how, you know, how not wouldn't say needy, but they were desperate, but like you really want those first two albums to break you out, you know, break you and send you into your third album where the record company sees you as a, as a, you know, a, a value or as a, you know, an asset to, to support and to, uh, to, you know, to, to give them the, the, the studio time and the, you know, the, everything that they need in order to succeed in that third, fourth album into their rest of their thing. So I think, I think you got to put listen to your heart in the front, but I, I mean, I, I could see yeah. why you put it six because it does, it does grab you for that second half of the album, but I think you got to put it up, up top. Well, I will listen to both playlists and I, and you know what? I most likely will change my mind because <laughs> that's the beauty of Tom Petty's music, right? No that's matter what all you listen to, it's like, it's all great. So if I was in the room, that would just be my pitch. I would go, you yeah. have a monster hit with listen to her heart. And I think you need to know too. So putting those back to back up top, is just uh, a way, just, you know, similar to uh, American girl and breakdown. I think. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I, you've, you've convinced me. I, th- I think you're right. So <laughs> you've convinced me. Um, and I think it, it goes back to partially what we were talking about, right? This was a, a, an album that was at least partially written just so they had more songs to go out on the road with. So you do get that feeling overall that it's it's a bit hurried. It's not been quite thought out as much maybe as some of the songs, like you said, the production on a couple of the songs aren't quite where they could have been. Restless is just just not quite there it's not been polished as much as tom usually did so you get that sense of again a sophomore not sophomore slump but it could probably probably been a little bit better presented as an album i think yeah i mean i think there's a saying that you have 18 years to write your first album and then 18 months to write your second and that might even be more compressed in some of these situations the other thing that i think is interesting is the album title because i don't really like I have a tough time taking it seriously because it's got an exclamation <laughs> point in it and it's, you're going to get it. And I'm like, well, why are we picking that song as the title track? I mean, usually yeah. the title track is like something 
like one of the best songs or the top songs on the album, or it says something that encapsulates the whole album. Yeah. But you know, you're going to get it with an exclamation point. I think was a was a misstep too. I would love to hear these conversations and just sit there and just be like, okay, that's how that that's how that happened. Okay. No kidding, hey. Be great to talk to No Shark, right? To find out well, what yeah. you're thinking, dude. Because I mean, even the album cover, it's it's so. Again, it's it's one of those things that it, it just does it, it hasn't aged. Like it looks like a seventies seventies rock album cover, right? It's just kind of yeah. kind of cheesy and really super saturated blue. And it's like, man, alive, this is a bit it's a bit weak. You know? I mean, it almost looks like an eight, like an early eighties. Like they were ahead of their yeah. time, I think, with some of the <laughs> some of the fonts and the colors and stuff that they're using there. And I think. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I, I think that this was the record where the the engineers were dropping acid every day. I think there was a I think there was a quote uh, watching the um, running running down a dream documentary where he was saying, "Well, it worked for them. We weren't doing it, but they would basically drop acid and come to the <laughs> studio." And so, I mean, I could see how that's maybe playing into some of these decisions because if you yeah. have somebody that's tripping, maybe you end up with that, that album cover, or that album title, or just uh, maybe this uh, list of songs in this order. Yeah. That's a fair point. <laughs> so it's what we're saying. It's it's a Tom Petty song on acid. That's what that's what we'll call it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny because you know, at its best, at its best, it's as strong as the debut. But on average, I think it's definitely it's definitely a little bit lower. Just the, the songs aren't quite on average as good overall, despite the, the the two sort of best songs being as good as American Girl and Breakdown. Yeah, I think if you take out. Uh, the two, and I would call them two country-ish, country rock songs from the first album, and yeah. you kind of put them on a play, or you know, you remove those two, and the other eight you put on with these ten songs. That they, they, this sounds like one group of songs, or like yeah. this was their era. Of this, and before you even get into damn the torpedo sessions, like this was this was this era, and they didn't have a whole like there was not a lot of country-ish stuff on this album that I can remember. Uh, Magnolia, maybe, but that was more of a birds, birdsy type yeah. song. Yeah, there's no, um, there's no country flavor on this one. No. And then, he, and I, he did say he was trying to do a Dolly Parton with Hurt, but I didn't, like, I didn't catch that. I wouldn't have said, "Oh, this sounds like a Dolly Parton song." That just <laughs> is what he, he said. I have to trust yeah. him on his word there. <laughs> well, it's funny too, though, because I think you know those influences. Because you hear artists talk about those things a lot, right? Who are my influences? And sometimes at Dolly Parton, like you're Slipknot, you listen to Dolly Parton, like really? Is that how? How does that work? Like, how does that influence? But it's what you take from it, right? It's not like it's not a saying that he wanted to write something that sounded like Dolly Parton necessarily sonically. It's always going to sound like Tom Petty, but just drawing inspiration for maybe the structure of it or the the lyrics. Yeah, structure. Right? So, yeah. You know. Or a melody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's do our top threes now. I'll, I'll go first for this one then. So again, I don't think we're going to be in too much disagreement with "Listen to Her Heart" and "I Need to Know." Um, definitely one and two. Um, and then for me, it was it's no second thoughts because, like you said, it's it, it was a song that I definitely missed the first couple goes around. And then when I went back to listen to it for the album, for the review episode, it just it stuck in my head. And I was humming that and listening to it over and over and over. And again, once I heard that live version, it's like, oh man, this is a really top-notch, top-quality song. Um, and um, my first season guest, Dallas Elliker, and I were actually going to try and do a cover of it. We're going to see if we can do a remote um, cover of that one and just maybe just do guitar and vocals or guitar, piano and vocals, or maybe we'll do a sort of a more full arrangement. But I'm going to have fun playing with that and seeing what we can come up with as well. So so that's my three. Listen to her heart, I need to know, and no second thoughts. Okay, I'm going to go with uh, listen to her heart, I need to know. And I, w- I think that if we track my streams, listens from this point forward, 
it's going to be those two. And then it'll probably be the live version of no second thoughts is my third most listened to, but I don't yeah. want to put this uh, studio version uh, on it. I'm going to go with hurt because I think that's the, the, the standout uh, track. I mean, I think too much ain't enough is an interesting track as well. I yeah. listen to that once in a while, but um, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with hurt as the third one. I think, I think that hurts. I gave an eight. I think I gave that an eight. As well, so yeah, great track, um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that. And again, maybe we'll do, maybe I'll do a, an EP. We'll do a four-song EP with all four of them, and maybe I'll even throw the live version as the as the version of uh, of No Second Thoughts. So, okay, any final thoughts on the second album? I think we, I think we talked about it. I think we agree. Uh, the highs are still pretty high. They're up there with American Girl and Breakdown. I would put those two ahead of. Um, listen to her heart and uh i need to know as, as far as if you're taking like a you know 2v2 yeah uh, is gonna which is gonna win um so maybe a little bit of a step back from them in terms of their peak uh this at this point in their career but it the album serves its purpose because there's enough here that they can add four or five songs to their uh set list and that's what they i mean that's why they wrote the album and re released it when they did they yeah. they wanted more songs to play live so i think it served the purpose and it takes them into that third album which is crucial jimmy Iovine talks about how important that third album is you need to put up or yeah. shut up and uh, i think it i think these two albums serve their purpose in getting them uh to that point where they could a a attract a producer like that who could get damn the tor torpedoes out of him out of them because they did yeah. have the hits here um, so that's that's sort of where I would put it. This is not one I would pull out and play a lot, I don't think. I think uh, towards the bottom of his discography for me. But again, he's got the, the two rock solid greatest hit type uh, songs uh, on it as well. At six and seven, by the way. I don't know why I still don't know why. <laughs> <put it six laughs> and, and again, it's a great point too, though, because I think that when you listen to this album, you definitely don't hear Down the Torpedoes coming as the next one. You would never, so you, if, you know, if you gave these in isolation as someone who's never heard of Tom Petty, You'd say, well, that was his second album. This was his third. You'd think, well, what the hell happened on his third? Because that's just, that's a different level. Like everything about it, like everything about that album, the production's better, the songwriting's amazing start to finish. The artwork's brilliant. The album title's superb. You know, every, everything about that album is just so much better than this album that you kind of think, well, that's really weird that that's, a, that's, the, same, that's the same guy. Well, I think you could, like, if you look back at it from our standpoint of having gotten, gotten into Petty later, uh, you see that he did get uh, American Girl and break down the first album. You did see uh, I Need to Know and, and uh, uh, Here Comes My Girl, or Listen to Her Heart, sorry. Here, uh, Listen to Her Heart on this album. You know, it like Dan the Tor Torpedoes is basically taking those four and putting it on Dan the Torpedoes along with a couple other good songs and a little bit of, you know, filler here in their album tracks yeah. here and there. So you can see the potential. Right. Uh, but you would not see, you know, refugee necessarily coming to that level and then everything else that came with it. You know, that's a tough one to pick top three, four as we as we learned oh, yeah. um, doing that podcast. Right on, my man. OK, well, let's uh, we'll wrap this one up, folks. Uh, so we've got our first two albums we've given you as bonus content. Um, we will be recording uh, an album wrap for Hard Promises, which I'm really looking forward to. And I think that's going to be very hard for me to pick three from, for sure. Um, again, if you're enjoying these conversations, come talk to me and John on social media. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. You can also find John on Twitter at 444 underscore John. So that's number four, F-O-R, number four underscore John. Come talk to us. Come tell us what we got wrong. Come tell us what we got right. We would love to hear your thoughts. Um, and we'll see you again fairly soon to talk about our promises in a few weeks. So we'll leave it there and we'll say bye-bye.